God, we ask that you would meet us here in this time when we open up your word. May it speak to us, may it draw us into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with you. Help us to have ears of understanding as we look at this very difficult passage. But God, we trust that, uh, that you have something in it for us. So help us to know what that is and use it to your glory and our benefit as well. Amen. Amen. All right. How many of us have ever taken a final exam? Most everybody has taken a final exam. All right, good. So I have one memorable final exam. It was in my junior year of college, I was taking this really hard European history class from the hardest but probably the best professor in the whole department. And I had a low A going in, so this was really important. It was kind of one of those make it or break it finals where I really wanted to get an A in this class because it was one of the hardest classes history majors had to take. And so on the morning of the final, I got up nice and early. I showed up about two hours ahead of time to cram in and make my final preparations. And my, to my pleasant surprise, the kids in the business school had a free coffee stand sitting there. So, really good coffee, too. So I kind of decided that I needed to take full advantage of this. So I started drinking coffee, one cup after another, after another, after another, for two hours. This is after I already had my good cup of U-Band from a can earlier that morning. All of a sudden, I'm studying, and my limbs start tingling a little bit. My hands start shaking, and I broke out in a sweat. I mean, like, a sweat. I thought for sure... I was going to throw up. And so I sweated through my shirt. I was shaking like a leaf. I looked as white as a ghost. That's how I entered the classroom to take this final exam. And I sat down at my desk. And I always remember my professor was like this big, tall guy. And he came up and he put his hands on the front of my desk. And he was right in my face. And he looked at me and he was like, Rob, are you okay? And all the students around me were just staring at me. Right? And I explained to him what had happened. I've had six cups of coffee in two hours, and I don't know, I've never felt like this before. And so the exam begins, and it was one of those all-essay history, anyone history majors, you just have to write, 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 write. You ever, remember those little blue exam books? Oh man, I used to fill those things up like crazy. But the problem is that on a good day, my handwriting is almost unreadable, right? Like, people make fun of my handwriting. This day, my hand was shaking so bad, I'm not sure the professor could even read my name on the paper. I thought for sure my A was gone. And I took the test kind of dejected, knowing pretty much that that course grade just dropped down to a B. The only redemption came with the fact that I actually got a 98% on that final. 98, don't I get like some kind of a applause or something for that? Thank you. All right, not what I expected. Now, there's two reasons that I share that story with you. Mostly because today, Abraham is actually about to take what a lot of Bible scholars will call his final exam, his tenth and final test to prove once and for all where his loyalties lie. But second, and I wanted to make sure that I got something that was kind of lighthearted and fun, because to be really honest, it's nearly impossible to make jokes about this story. All right? It's pretty serious. 
Abraham's final exam is one of the most morally and theologically challenging stories in all of Scripture. Its complexity is off the chart. Some of the questions that it raises are left unanswered, and it's problematic in many ways, and yet the narrator of the Genesis story includes it. And what I've come to learn is that the Jewish tradition cherishes this story. It's a story that's come to actually represent a Jew's devotion to God. And I learned from my friend Rabbi Sappo next door that Jews read this story every single morning. It's amazing. They wake up in the morning every day and they read this story. It means that much to them. And so it is with a little bit of fear and trembling and only one cup of coffee, I promise you. And with a large dose of humility that I'm going to share some thoughts on what the Jews call the Akedah or the binding of Isaac. Listen to these words from Abraham's final exam, written in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, set out, and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said, to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son. He carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown them, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and then reached out for the knife, took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up, saw a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. He went, took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering instead of the son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of God. And so would everyone agree that this story presents some challenges? Am I the only one? That God puts our faith to the test is simply true. But we note right up front that Abraham is the only person that will ever face this particular test. And so there's this tension that's created in the story between what God has promised and this test that God gives Abraham. 
First, we have the promise. We remember that twice God had promised that Abraham would have a son with Sarah. And both when God told them, both of them individually laughed in God's face at the ridiculousness of this promise. The promise seemed to them like some kind of a joke. But in very old age, 99 and 89, Isaac is born to Sarah, and God's promise was kept. And so if Abraham's only son with Sarah dies, then so dies the promise. And what about the covenant between Abraham and God? It would be no more, and so we have a lot at stake here in this story. And so as I said, it's this tenth and final test for Father Abraham. John Calvin, in the Reformed tradition, said about the troubling nature of this story, he said that the command and the promise of God are in conflict. And they are. Martin Luther, of the Lutheran tradition, said that there's a contradiction with which God contradicts himself. If Isaac dies, we're back to barrenness. We're left again with no future. And so Abraham is being asked to violate one of God's moral commands, thou shalt not kill. And the story, interestingly, offers no explanation as to why God asks the nearly impossible of his servant, Abraham. He's being asked to behave in an illogical and completely absurd manner. The only explanation that the text gives is that God genuinely wants to know something. God wants to know where Abraham's heart lies. Can Abraham give God the most precious thing in the world? Or is he going to take matters into his own hands? That's what God wants to know from Abraham. And so even though Abraham doesn't understand the request, he's faithful because what God had done is repeatedly, over and over and over again in Abraham's life, God had shown himself to be faithful to his promises. And so Abraham moves forward. God calls him out of the blue. Abraham responds, here I am. He starts off his time of testing well. He knows exactly who it is that's calling him. And he makes himself fully available. And so the narrator of the story tells us that this is just a test. The reader of the story knows that at the very beginning of the story that no blood will be spilled. That God does not like the loss of innocent life. And so we read it knowing that God is going to provide the way out. But put yourself in Abraham's shoes. How did he feel? Did he feel the gravity of this nearly impossible situation that he was placed in? Will Abraham trust in God's promise, or is he going to take matters into his own hands? That's what God is trying to figure out. But in Hebrew, which we don't read this in Hebrew, but when you read it in Hebrew, there's actually this particle at the beginning of the command that God gives. And into English, it translates, please. This is no joke. Please. God actually says, please. Abraham seems free to refuse the request, but he doesn't. The question is why? Why is Abraham willing to take this final exam if he doesn't have to? How many of us sign up to take final exams that we don't have to take? I tried to get out of one in seminary that I thought I didn't have to take because I was auditing the class, and the professor said to me, I think it would be a good idea if you took it. I took it. But who signs up to take things, right? He seems like he's free to decide on his own, and God wants to genuinely, God wants to know what's he going to do. 
And so the answer here that as to why he takes this test when maybe he could have refused is the answer is that he absolutely he's certain of one thing. Abraham is certain that God was going to provide the way out. That God would provide the sacrifice and remain faithful to his promises. And so we're not told about Abraham's distress over this test. But all of us understand how impossible his situation was. But he's already learned a couple weeks ago when we talked about the fact that nothing was too wonderful for God. That's what the scripture says. Nothing too impossible. And so Abraham and Isaac and their servants prepare for this three-day journey perhaps probably right near Jerusalem, long before Jerusalem was the center of Judaism. And as they approach this place where God had told them to go, we get to this conversation between father and son. It breaks the silence, but it only serves to intensify the whole situation. Presumably, Isaac knows something about sacrifices, because he notices that something is missing. He says, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac trusts his dad. Like all children trust their dad. <laughs> Do my children trust their dad? <laughs> you know, I pick on him sometimes in my sermons. So. Kids trust their dad to take care of them. They look to dads for protection. They believe that their dads, they have their back, right? This is what dads are supposed to do. Abraham He's placed his trust in his heavenly father. He knows that his heavenly father has been with him the whole time. He trusts God himself will provide the lamb. That's the answer that he gives his son when he asks. He must have really believed this because he told his servants, this is really important, he told his servants to wait for him and his son to return. It says it right there. Abraham must really have believed that the two of them were going to come back together. Now, a few weeks ago, as I was studying this, I did. I told you, I reached out. Right next door, we've got a, the Chabad. And Rabbi Sappho, that's the rabbi, but there's a really respected teacher uh, in this community. And so I emailed him one day, and I said, hey, what do you, how do you handle some of, these, some of these things? And he actually sent me something back and gave me about 200 videos and articles to read. And I started kind of wading through them. Um, much to the dismay of my family who was trying to watch television while I was listening to rabbis preach about this text. They're like, can you turn the rabbi down, please? So I had to move to another room. But it's interesting, some people look at this story and they actually levy this charge of child abuse on Abraham. You can understand why, but have you ever thought about this? The rabbis actually remind us that Abraham was 137 years old. 137 years old. It makes Isaac 37. Now, there's always this thing, especially as a guy growing up. A guy growing up is always thinking to themselves, when can I take my dad? Like, <laughs> and so, when I was a kid, I actually tried a couple times, and it didn't work out very well for me, you know? Like, it went very, very poorly. I mean, I had some road burns to prove it, you know? But at a certain point, even dad knows. No more. My dad's in his 70s. I'm fine. Abraham's 137 years old, and so the rabbis ask a good question of us. They would say, like, who's really in charge here? Abraham or his 37-year-old son? And so I find that to be fascinating, 
But to me, this is just mind-boggling. They walked up that mountain united. That's what the scripture says. They go up together, it says. Isaac had made his decision. He was going to go with his father willingly up this mountain. And so the story moves in kind of slow motion. The tension builds as Abraham makes these impossible preparations of binding his son. And finally, to everyone's incredible relief, Abraham is told, do not lift a finger. Do not do anything to hurt your boy. And the words of the scripture, the most important words of this story, and there are just three of them, God says, now I know. Now I know. God now knows the depth of Abraham's commitment, the depth of his reverence before God, the depth of his trust in the promises. The test is over, and Abraham has passed. Now as a father, I can't help but ask these kind of questions. What do you think the relationship was like between Abraham and Isaac moving forward? I can only imagine it was a strained one, for sure. But interestingly, the text says that Abraham looks up. He sees a ram caught in the bushes. The best, this is the best question you could ask about this story. Does this ram just suddenly appear? Or was it there the entire time? It does, the text doesn't tell us the answer to that question. Had Abraham missed it the whole time? Or did it just appear? Either way, we're not given the answer to that question. But Abraham offers it as an act of worship. And so as difficult as this text is, I do think there's a few things that we can think about, a few things that we can take away. And the first is really simple. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. I wish that the text gave us more answers to some of the difficult questions that the story raises. But here are a few things I'm pretty confident in. And the first is that the rabbis teach us. When everything I looked at, they all came back to the same thing. They all said that Abraham shows us that our highest commitment in life is to God. This is what they return to over and over and over, that there's something bigger than ourselves, that our commitment to God is first and foremost. And the hardest stuff that I listened to when I was studying this was that the rabbis remind us of the millions of Jews throughout history who've lost their lives and the lives of their children because they refused to disobey any of God's commandments. And so the rabbis would say that Abraham walked where nobody has walked and that our job is to simply follow in Abraham's footsteps, offering our faithful devotion. Now, as Christians, we're pointed somewhere else. We're reminded and pointed to the fact of the ultimate fulfillment in God's promise is in Jesus Christ. And so our New Testament writers, they pick up the themes from this story many times. It's all over the place. In order to show us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we have scriptures like this from Mark 10, 45. It says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for men. 
We have texts like this from John 129, which says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he declared, Here is the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sin of the world. Or from Peter, 1 Peter, where he wrote, You know that you were not ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of a lamb without defects or blemish. And so God's provision for Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah points us to the Lord Jesus himself. Just as Isaac carried the wood up the mountain, Christ carried his cross. God did not withhold his only son for our sake. As Isaac is redeemed from death, so Christ is resurrected from the grave. Because like Abraham before him, Jesus too put his trust in the promises of God. And finally, Abraham's trust in the promises is the way forward in discipleship for us. So we'll never be tested like this, thank God. God has shown Abraham that sacrifice is not what he's interested in. It's not what he desires. The shedding of innocent blood goes against everything that God has taught us in his word, and Abraham now learns this. Abraham shows us the way by holding on to the promises of God even when they're difficult. God renews the covenant now through Isaac that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And maybe more than anything, God wants us to trust in the promise of the gospel. There was a tightrope walk who did these incredible aerial feats. He was in Paris, all over Paris. He would do these tightrope walks at tremendously scary heights. Then after he completed them, he would do the same things, he would only blindfold. And then when he completed the blindfold, the third thing he would do is he'd keep the blindfold on and he'd push a wheelbarrow across it. There was an American promoter, he read about this guy in the papers, he wrote the tightrope walker, uh, Alaska Letter. And he said, I don't believe you can do it, but I'm willing to offer you a huge sum of money if you will come and do your tightrope act over Niagara Falls. And so the tightrope writes back to him, and he says, Sir, I've never seen the falls before, but I'd love to come. And so people gather, they show up to watch this guy do this. He's supposed to start on the Canadian side and tightrope across to the American side, and he comes across the rope with ease the first time. He does it again with his blindfold piece of cake. Then he comes down, and the promoter is waiting for him, and he says, well, Mr. Promoter, you didn't believe I could do it. Now, do you believe that I can do it? And he's like, of course I believe you. I've watched you just do it. And he said, no, do you really believe that I can do it? And he said, yeah, I, mean, I, just, I just saw you do it. Of course you can do it. And he said, no, do you really believe that I can do this. And he said, yes, I believe that you can do it. And the tightrope's response was, great, then you get in the wheelbarrow. Most of us would never get in. You would never trust enough to hop in that wheelbarrow. But the interesting thing that got me thinking was Abraham, he's the kind of guy he would have jumped right in. You wouldn't have hesitated. He said, get in that wheelbarrow, Abraham. God says, get in that wheelbarrow, Abraham's going. His faith, his obedience to God was his greatest strength. He lived by the certainty that God's promises are rock solid, that they can be trusted with our lives, 
even in situations that appear to be hopeless, that God can and provide the way forward. That's what this text is trying to teach us. It says God will provide the way out. And so it makes me think of all the difficult situations that each of us have to face in life. If we're to walk in Abraham's footsteps, then we too will have to trust that the Lord will provide. And then ultimately, as Christians, in Christ, God already has provided the way out. And so may we look to Jesus and may we place our trust in him. We pray with God, we trust that you are good, you are gracious and kind and merciful beyond our understanding. God, we confess that we don't have all the answers, but we place our trust in the one who does. Help us to walk faithfully trusting in your promises even when things seem dark and hopeless. And God, may you shine your lights on us, Lord, and lead us in your ways. Amen. And so we come out.